Who's looking forward to sleeping in a tent this evening? Tonight, the message is called Church in the Wild. And uh, turn to your neighbor and say, I want to be a part of Church in the Wild. We've called, we've called this uh, summer camp Into the Wild. And uh, I'm going to try and explain that over today and tomorrow. And Adam's going to be preaching Monday night, and that's going to be amazing. But I just want to take you back to a very significant moment for me as a pastor. Uh, not long after we started leading Sunny Hill, God gave us an unbelievable moment where God spoke to us very clearly. And I know I've shared this story on Vision Sundays and stuff like that, but I want to share it again because it really speaks to the future that I see for the church and for this church in particular. And uh, Caleb was about two years old at the time, maybe three years old, and uh, we would have a game where it was like hide-and-seek, but it was hide-and-seek on steroids, okay? Anyone play aggressive hide-and-seek with their children? Thank you, Lee and Rachel. I appreciate that. I see those hands. Guys, you need to do this. This is awesome. Basically, what you do is you pretend to be an animal, okay, and you tell your children to run off, and you, you want to pick like a predator kind of animal, like a shark or a lion. And you tell your kids you're going to just run off and I'm going to come and find you in 10 seconds. And Caleb would run off and I would like, I'd count down from 10. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And I was always a lion. And the reason I was a lion was because Caleb, my son, had this pop-up book where a lion came out in the middle of it, kind of like that. I mean, no sound effects. It was a cheaper book, okay? It was from the old mother-in-law. And when I say old mother-in-law, I don't mean literally old mother-in-law, okay? There's a chance you may be here tomorrow, so don't tell her that I said that, okay? But basically, I was always teaching Caleb. Who said I will? Oh, should have guessed. The Sunny Hill Judas over there, <laughs> along with Kevin Snitchens over there. Um, you know, and uh, I, I would just be like saying, Caleb, like lions are ferocious, they're wild, they're, they're like crazy, they're always hungry, and they will eat you if you're in front of them. They're, they don't care about your personality, they don't care about your feelings, they're coming for you. If you're in the wild, they're going to get you. And so when Caleb would go and hide, I'd go 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Then I'd say, the lion is coming. Everybody say, the lion is coming. And I would stomp up the stairs, and I'd, I'd always know where he was. Typically, he was behind the curtains in our bedroom. He was rubbish at this game, so rubbish. And you would see... Yeah. <laughs> you would see his legs shaking behind the curtain and all I would say is I'd say the lion's here I'd burst into the room and you'd hear him giggling like no no he's like his mom in that regard like no weird okay and I would grab his legs and I'd pull him from under the curtain and I would pull up his shirt like this and I'd pretend to eat his belly like with my claw hands like, ah, and then I'd blow a raspberry on his belly like, like all stuff like that now, there was an occasion, not long after these moments, where we went to the Isle of Wight. Put your hand up if you've been to the Isle of Wight. I mean, if you've been to the Isle of Wight, you've been to the zoo, okay? Because basically, there's a harbor, and there's a zoo. And then there's another harbor. There's like a, like a one-way system, on, off, and the zoo in between, okay? Um, and uh, we went to the zoo, and this zoo was all about the lions. It had an impressive lion sanctuary. And uh, Caleb was buzzing about going to the lions. And zoos are way too expensive, in my opinion. I just think, yeah, thank you. You wait till you've got kids. It's unbelievable. And then they've got the audacity to say, do you want to make a donation to the Wildlife Foundation that we're running? Anyone get frustrated with that stuff, where you get like blindsided with, and you kind of feel guilty? Because if I say no, 
I'm now suggesting that I hate wildlife. But I've paid £85 to come. That is my support. And also, just a paradigm shift, you're the one keeping them behind bars here, not me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why should I be donating to the wild campaign when you are caging animals left, right, and center and making a good dollar off it? That's just my point of view. And so anyways, because the zoo was so expensive and because it was so small, we did all the other animals first. We went around the peacocks, the owls, all of that stuff. And we were saving the lion enclosure for the end because I just wanted it to be this climactic moment where Caleb was like, oh, a lion. And anyway, we get to the lions at about, I don't know, half two in the afternoon. And uh, you've seen this before, but there's like four different enclosures from memory. And uh, we go to enclosure one, two, three, four, and all the lions have adopted the same posture. And the posture is kind of just like that. Just lying on the floor in the sun, like this. And, uh, you know, I, it, it really wound me up because I'm like, no, these lions are supposed to be wild. They're supposed to be ferocious. That's what I've taught Caleb. Caleb sees these lions that are totally inactive in the enclosure and Caleb picks up a stick or a stone or something because he's thinking, I'm going to get these lions up tonight, all right? <laughs> picks it up and I'm like, put that down until the zookeeper turns away, then launch it over the <laughs> fence and get our money's worth this morning. And um, anyways, he doesn't. I go to the zookeeper and I'm like, can you wake up the lions, please? Um, we've come to see the lions and they're all sleeping and they're all far away. And he said, come back at four o'clock. That's when we feed them. And then you're kind of almost guaranteed a show. And so we walk around some of the more less brilliant animals and then come back to the lions at around four o'clock. And uh, they drop a box into the enclosure, like on a winch system. And the lions, like after about a minute or two of the box being in the enclosure, the lions kind of stir. They get up. They go over to the box. They, they open the box. <laughs> I promise you, literally open the flap. They've got claws. I mean, I've seen some of you eat, okay? <laughs> like, literally, they open the box with their paws, they get the Staco and walk back to their spot and go back to sunbathing. Like, it's unbelievable. What are you chatting about? <laughs> no one cares what you have to say. <laughs> Don't encourage him either. He's got enough. He's got enough. Fabiano, next time he's there, you, need, you see your elbow in the face. And anyways, I, I tell you why this is significant for me is because literally as we're watching this play out, I really felt the Holy Spirit say to me that this can't be like the church for your children. And you're thinking, what is that talking about? This idea that we talk about the book of Acts in fact, we're preaching on the book of Acts at the moment. And uh, I love revival history. I love like the, the Welsh revival, that the movement that we're a part of was born out of. And like just this sense that there's that potential in us to create such a sanitized and neat and orderly, safe existence that the church is disconnected from what it was built to do. That actually a lion was formed and created by God in order to be a ferocious, man-eating beast. But in this instance, had become so contained and so uh, domesticated that it was more like a pet cat. And I just got this impression that like 
it's really possible that I tell my children about these brilliant church movements, about these amazing people of God, and talk to them about the unbelievable occasions in the book of Acts, but then raise them in a church that is totally domesticated and safe and is just disconnected from who it's called to be. And I think really, when we think about church in the wild, that's what I'm picturing. It's like a time where the Holy Spirit is wanting us to actually embrace who he's calling us to be. No, no, you can't sit there. Get out. (laughs) Okay. You know, so I think God is calling us to reconnect to our church roots. And I'm not talking about Sunny Hill 15 years ago. I'm not even talking about 1906, the Welsh Revival. I'm literally talking about early church DNA. I really get a sense that God is showing us some things here and we need to make an intentional move toward that type of church. You see, there was nothing tame, nothing tame about the early church. It was dynamic. It was daring. It was devastating to the kingdom of darkness. It broke out of the conventional religious containment. It was untethered from Roman structures and regulations. It was unfamiliar to the tax collectors. Like it was absolutely crazy. It was rogue by royal standards. It was maverick by man standards. Because they were led by the Spirit, they were fearless and they were considered foolish. They were not entrenched in the rat race. They were not slaved to the dollar. They were not phased by society and they were not stopped by edicts or law or legislation. They were a blessing to those who were weak, a stone in the shoe to those who were strong, They were the aroma of Christ to those who were perishing. They were the body of Christ to those who were flourishing. And persecution didn't slow them. And uh, actually persecution, persecution, you read in Acts, actually spread them. Threats did not deter them. Prison did not silence them. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says this, and it's going to come up on the screen. It's crazy. It says in this, verse 35, it says, There were others who were tortured. They refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were stored in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Listen to what it says next. The world was not worthy of them. And then it says this. Listen. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. This is the people of God. And sometimes what we do is we reduce church to a Sunday event where we come and we sing songs and we listen to a really handsome speaker at Paul campus, for those of you who go, and then a less better looking one at Ferndown campus. Uh, anyways, um, you know, and we reduce, yeah. Fruey's like, liar! Um, or was that Erica? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> um, but you know what? It's just this sense that like this, this, that, what I just read is our heritage. And we have to get serious about this. I was talking to one of the families from Sunny Hill over dinner, just saying sometimes ministers and people of God are scared of being canceled. Like for us, that is the biggest threat of our time and moment that we may express a view That is unpopular by the world's standards. But the Bible says that the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. And actually, if we so fear being cancelled and unpopular, we can never change the world. 
We can never change the world. You know, I say quite a lot that actually offense isn't all bad. I don't know what that was. Was that you, Erica? <laughs> oh, she's going to throw a shoe. That's a massive insult, I think, in China, isn't it? I don't know. Okay, fair, fair enough. Erica. But like, here we are, we see the people of God in Hebrews 11. Church in the wild, facing jeers, facing imprisonment, facing being sword in two. Because their message was so offensive, so offensive to the world. But actually, as we read here, the writer of Hebrews says, the world was not worthy of these people. And really, that's the challenge, I believe, for us. And that's really the gauntlet I want to put down for us at the start of summer camp. It sounds heavy, but I just really sense that God wants us to get real with him. And actually, this isn't something we do uncoupled from his presence or uncoupled from his Holy Spirit. This is something we desperately need the Holy Spirit for. The Holy Spirit comes and empowers us and emboldens us to take this message that seems crazy to the world. It's crazy, isn't it? It says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's eternal life. It's everything to us. And so my heart tonight is, uh, I'm not quite finished yet. Don't get excited, okay? Is that we don't wait until Tuesday morning or Monday night to really start to do business with God. But we start right now. That actually we don't need to warm you up with songs over the next three days and to the point where you want to worship. We just choose the mindset and posture now that actually, Holy Spirit, we need you to fill us so that we may become the church that you've actually designed us to be. A church not in the sanitized, domesticated existence of religion, not in the containment of the scriptures that the world would want to impress on us, but a church in the wild, a church that lives on the wild side. That's our heritage. There's some prophetic words that have been coming out, and I've been loving reading them on social media. I just really sense that God is kind of turning the temperature up on this stuff in the life of Sunny Hill, and I'm loving it. Um, But there was a word uh, from Lee, and it was about repositioning and realignment in preparation for all the Lord wants to pour out. And I thought that was really significant because the whole point of Uh, Listen to this, realignment and repositioning. Whose responsibility is that? It's ours. That actually there's a sense that this is what God is blessing. This is the church that God will bless. This is the church that Jesus will multiply and add to. This is the church that will see signs and wonders done on a regular basis. And so what we have to do is realign ourselves to be in the line of the blessing of God. So like, I love that picture. We had a word from Rob on there as well about seeking the Lord with all our heart. All our heart. Tonight we're saying, I make room. You have all my attention. Jesus, like all of our heart seeking the Lord. Katie's word as well, I think she put it up there yesterday, about, um, about us meandering like a stream, almost like a bit haphazard. And it says, often taking the easiest route to get to our destination. And the word was this, now is the time to be like a fast-flowing, raging river that is bursting the banks. Nothing contained, domesticated, predictable, religious, or boring about it. It's a church, but it's a church on the wild side. She said the filling of the Holy Spirit 
being so power, it will be uncontainable. We just need to surrender everything to him. These were the words. We just need to surrender. We just need to go and get real with the Lord. This week, I've been reading Joshua. And with this, I will prepare to land because I really want us to have some response time tonight. So, Ben, can you come up on the keys, please? And uh, let me just find where this is. Joshua, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, is Moses' successor, follows on from Moses. And the assignment on the leader of Israel is to lead the people of God into the promise of God. And the promise of God was a land flowing with milk and honey. And I don't know if you ever thought about this. When I think about milk and honey, I'm going, I mean, that, that doesn't really seem appealing to me immediately, honestly. I guess in my mind, I picture like a, a river flowing with milk or something. And I'm like, that's handy, I guess. But like, no cocoa pops to go with it. So <laughs> just milk on its own, the white stuff. And honey. I'm not really into honey all that much, in all honesty. So I've always struggled to connect with this idea of milk and honey as being like a, I guess if it was like Cadbury's and Capri Sun, I'd be like, yeah, let's go. But I was thinking about it this week. I don't reckon. But this week I was thinking about it. Can you just turn that down a little bit, please, Jonathan? Thank you. Um, and maybe a little bit more. I don't want it to suggest like I've only got two minutes left and get everyone into a full sense of excitement, like I'm going to missell PPI tonight or something. Um, but I was thinking about this and the picture of milk actually speaks to the fact that there would be loads of green pasture the fact that the land would be bountiful to feed cattle that it would be green and lush and the fact that it was flowing with honey means that there was enough clover in the grass and in the plants in order to sustain uh, bees and amazing unbelievable now this now becomes a picture I'm excited about because the existence of the Israelites was one in the desert where they would put the hand on the ground and pick up sand and that was their existence. So this promise of pastures, green, lush, bountiful, flowing with milk and honey, all of a sudden now in my mind's imagination is thinking, okay, I've now got more skin in the game. I've now got a greater incentive to get into that place because it's like a picture of heaven on earth. But... It's, it's kind of crazy because the promised land is waiting for the people of God. But Moses has missed his moment to lay hold of it. And uh, Moses dies and Joshua now becomes the leader of Israel. But there's two things standing between the people of God and the promise of God. Does anyone know what those two things are? Jordan. Who said Jordan. Well done, Kevin. I've always liked you, Kevin. Brilliant. Jordan is one, and the other one still begins with J. Jordan and Jericho. Uh, Jordan is a picture of the crossing point, and Jericho is a picture of this kind of fortified city and the cities that the Israelites are going to have to lay waste in order to lay hold of the promise. And I just want to draw your attention to this, that there was a promise that God had for them, but it was going to require initiative on their part to lay claim to it. And I think sometimes we think like the transaction of heaven is just like God just wants to do this for us. But the word about realignment and repositioning actually speaks to the initiative that we take to get into the alignment with the blessing of God. It's kind of interesting because if you think about it, if I was Joshua and I was going to go and prime the people and saying, listen, we're going to get ready to go, I'd be saying, 
practice your swimming, okay, because we're going to cross the Jordan, and sharpen your swords because we've got to get through Jericho. But none of these things happen. What we actually read is quite different. Look at the screen, Joshua 3, verse 1. This was a word that God gave me last Sunday night at the prayer meeting. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim, I hate saying that, and went to the Jordan where they camped. Well, I just picture if you're from there, has no one ever thought that? Like, where are you from, mate? Uh, down the road. Yeah, but what town? I don't matter. <laughs> Three miles down the road. You talk, you're talking about that shitting place? We, we call it Shittim. <laughs> you've, you've ever thought that? I thought, how do you skin the cat so you just don't have to have that awkward conversation? Sorry, mate, what did you say? <laughs> from the back of the throat. <laughs> Shittim. Let's try and hide it in there. <laughs> I don't know if it's just my imagination. That's how I picture it. I think there's got to be a better way. Just call it something for short, but then you can't. You can't even shorten it. <laughs> and then the worst thing is, like, your whole tribe is called the Shittites, and you're like, oh. <laughs> and just on, the, on that note, if you're a descendant of the Shittites, go home and use your own toilets, okay? <laughs> None of the toilets here. We don't want any of that business. Pump, dump, and pump, okay? Okay, get serious. Stop messing about. Went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. It's a crossing over point. Listen to this. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. What are the orders? Learn to swim. Sharpen your swords. Practice your sword fight and get ready because we're going to lay hold of this place. It says, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Lev Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Okay, so it's not quite the game plan that I was expecting. Okay, next slide, please. This bit gets crazier. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. And this is the curveball instruction. Joshua told the people, let's say it together, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, this is a partnership that, like, all of us want the amazing things God can do. Who wants all the amazing things God can do in their life? Seriously. Like, there is, there is blessing packed up for you. There is, like, it's ready. It's ready. Everybody wants the blessing of God. But the instruction of Joshua to the people is, we've got to consecrate ourselves. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves. It just seems so anticlimactic because you're always like, what about the sword fighting? Just consecrate yourself. What about the Jordan? Just consecrate yourself. What about when we get to Jericho? Just consecrate yourself. Another translation of this is sanctify yourselves. It seems like such a weird instruction. And uh, it's like something we do so that God can do what only He can do. And I just love this idea that maybe this prophetic inclination for Sunny Hill right now is like tomorrow represents everything we're going to go back to in September. That God actually wants to do amazing things. Because we're still the same church as the church in Acts. We're still called to see healing. We're still called to see breakthrough. 
We're still called to raise the dead. We're still called to see people delivered of demons. We're still called to actually free people from captivity and bondage. That's still the calling on the church. And God wants to do all of these things tomorrow. But actually tonight, it's time to consecrate ourselves in preparation. We have to, we have to do what only we can do so that God can do what only he can do. Three aspects of consecration, just so you understand. When I say the term consecration, what I'm talking about. Pay the electric bill, church. Come on. Um, the first is this. It begins with S. Surrender. Everybody say surrender. That's the first step of consecration. And I'm going to come back to that point, but that is the first step. But we're going to come back to that at the end. And we are nearly at the end, don't worry. The second point is separation. Everyone say separation. See, the scripture says, Jesus, when he's praying for his disciples, he says, they are in the world, but they are not of the world. So there's something about our life that is oriented differently towards the things that God is about. Pursuing holiness and righteousness. I mean, it's, it's a crazy thing because in, in, in the book of Joshua, the picture of separation looks like circumcision. And when I was reading the scriptures this week, I got to Joshua 5 because I read through Joshua. And I read this sentence. I was like, oh, it says, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites. So I'm like, flint knives. Oh, my gosh. And circumcise the Israelites. Then this word, which is horrible, again. Yeah, every bloke is like, oh, man, that's brutal. But just to give you context, yeah, I see that face, Richard. Richard's like, just threw up in his coffee cup. But the context of the passage is not like the same people twice because the generation had died. And God was showing the next generation that for them to inhabit this land, they needed to go through the same process of separation as their parents did. They had to be set apart. And the way that they demonstrated that was to circumcise themselves with flint knives. I mean, thank goodness that the prophetic word isn't circumcise yourselves for tomorrow. God's got to do great things amongst you. It's not that. <laughs> Richard's eyes. Richard's eyes. <laughs> but the word is consecrate. Now, circumcision in the Old Testament, but we read in the New Testament, actually, that Paul says in Romans that circumcision is of the heart. That in the Old Testament, it was an outward expression of separation. In the New Testament, it's an inward reality of separation. That in our heart, we have decided that the world is found wanting. That everything that the world presents as the game changer, every, every technological advancement, every money-making scheme, every kind of positive thinking messaging, like actually the world always comes up short. And so we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so there is this separation that we need to make. It doesn't mean that we break off our friendships, although in some cases we should. But what it actually means is that we choose to live differently. It means that actually we choose to go, no, I know that I was bought with a price. And the price was the blood of Jesus. And I'm not going to belittle that sacrifice by wasting my life. And so I'm going to... I'm going to be separated from the world. I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. So separation. And then the last thing is saturation, which is like as we are separated from the world and separated from kind of worldly ideas and ideals, that actually the Holy Spirit wants to fill us and empower us to live for Him. 
But I want to come back to the first point, and I just want to invite you all to stand, because again, that just brings me a bit of accountability to land this. Because this is really, this is the crux of it tonight. This is where we're going to land, and this is how we're going to respond. And the band can come up as well. That the first step to consecration is total surrender. What does surrender look like? James 4, 7 to 8 says, submit. Actually, in the Greek, nearer word would be surrender yourselves to God. Keep listening to me if you can. Paul says in Romans, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies. Some translation says, surrender your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. Almost like we surrender ourselves to become a sacrifice that does not die, but actually goes on living. So it's this daily death that we have to go through. Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 24, If you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. Now listen to this. No one likes the sound of surrender. No one likes the sound of sacrifice. Like It's like what you do when you're out of options. And I just wrote this in my book, but I think it will help. In war, surrender implies defeat. In the kingdom, surrender ensures victory. I want to say that again. In war, surrender implies defeat. In the kingdom, it ensures victory. It demonstrates the humility that God exalts. It demonstrates the type of humility that God blesses. Because surrendering is when you're out of options. And the quicker that you can come to the end of yourself, the better. When you stop trying to make things work in your own strength, the better. In every challenge, hardship, difficulty, listen, surrender. Throw yourself on the grace and goodness of God. Jesus says in Matthew 26, take my yoke upon you. In other words, surrender. And you can only receive a yoke when you have surrendered. And the benefit is that a surrendered posture, you can learn from Jesus and he will give you rest. Listen to this. Some of you are tired because you are stressing instead of surrendering. Some of you are weary because you are striving instead of surrendering. Some of you are considering quitting because you have been solving rather than surrendering. It's time to surrender. It's where the freedom is. It's where the life is. It's where the rest is. Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow God will do great things.